All right, we're taking on the first five verses of chapter 43. Here tonight, we're going to take on some questions you may think you have the answers to, but may indeed not. One of the first, well, the first one we're going to take on is where the first temple was built. We're also going to take on where the second temple was built, and we'll carry on to where the third temple will be built, or possible places where the third temple will be built. And in these verses, we have the glory of God coming into the temple. So why does the glory of God enter a temple set up for Old Testament worship? So we'll try and uh, work on answering these, these questions. Let's uh, pick up here at verse 1, chapter 43. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the visions which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. Now what he saw before was when the glory of God departed from the first temple. So this was the first temple. So does he mean that he was on the site of the first temple? Uh, right now he's on the site of the first temple or that the same way the spirit of God departed was the same way he returned now he right now is on the site of the third temple he skips the second he saw the first he was taken back from where he was in captivity and he was taken back into the land of Israel over to the nation, uh, to the city of Jerusalem and he was taken to the first temple and he saw some of the things that were going on in the courtyard and with the people and he wrote about them and he proclaimed God's judgment about those things and he also saw the glory of God leave the presence of the temple so is he on the same site as the first one which of course if he's on the same site as the first one he would be on the same site as the second one so he wanted to cover this where was the first temple built now, how many of you just say, well, of course it was on the Temple Mount? Be uh, in agreement with a lot of Jewish people? Now, this might come as a surprise to you, but the Muslims and the Arabs that are over in that area say that there never was a temple on that site. So, who is right? So, I wanted to go over with you some of the things. I don't think you need a case for why there's a temple there. It's kind of just like it's been an accepted thing. We've accepted that the temple is there. But do you understand this? There is absolutely no trace of the temple. They have, uh, they have looked around it. There is zero. They cannot tell you where on that temple mount the temple was built. That's how much of it is gone. There's not a single trace of it left. So you can't prove by archaeology that the temple was there. So here's the case for the, the, the no temple on the Temple Mount. Now if um, we want to go over to pull up our first picture of the city of David. Oh dear, technical difficulties are coming up. We have a picture here coming up in just a little while of the, um, the city of David. The city of David is, uh, you know, we, we often refer to it as, as Jerusalem, but the city of David 
was a very small section of the city, of the current modern city. It's uh, it's just a very it's, you, when you see the, the the map on this, it is and there we are. It is extraordinarily small. But this is what the city of David looked like when David went to attack it. This is when the Jebusites had it. We got a very small city and a wall around it. But it had been fortified and the, the um, Saul had not gone after it. During the days of the judges, they had not gone after it. It had remained in the hands of the enemy. If we go on to number two, this is the city of, of David with uh, some of the rest of the city. You're going to see how it... Oops, oh, that wasn't the one I had for number two. But that may be that may be the one to go with. So let's just let's, we'll go with it for right now. This right now we'll just give you a layout of the city. This is the city of David. This little part up over here. That's what David conquered. The city spread out into this area over here, and this became the North Wall. This is the Temple Mount up over in this area. The city grew again. And it grew out into this area. This became the second north wall. The city grew again. And it spread out into this area. And now we have a new north wall. So if you've ever seen pictures of the city. And you see all these different walls throughout it. Or if you have gone through it. This is why the, the wall showed up. Because the city kept growing. And they would expand the walls. But the city grew in the direction of the north. But this is the original city. The city of David is right there. Um, yep. Let's, now this is just looking at the city of David here. This, this is the walled area of the city of David. And this is the Temple Mount back over here. You can see the Temple Mount looks quite a bit taller. Quite a bit more impressive than all the stuff going on down in this this area. Um, let's see. Let's go on to picture. No, don't go to picture number five just yet. This is the um, this is the problem with the Temple Mount being over here, and why uh, a, a lot of places, uh, uh, some places uh, don't feel. Some people, I should say, not places, feel that it would be more accurate to find a different place for the temple to have been built. One of them is in the writings of Josephus, who was a historian during that time. I want to actually read this to you. And here he is describing a fort that the Romans had built. This fort was named Antonia after Herod's friend Mark Antony. It was about 40 acres in size. The fort, like all typical Roman camps, was capable of housing a legion of soldiers of five to six thousand soldiers. It was forty acres in size, and the Romans don't associate with the Jews, and the Jews don't associate with the Romans. So what you need to have when you have those five to six thousand Roman soldiers is you need to have a city within a city. You need to have everything for the Romans there in their complex. And when Rome went around and they built these, these forts for their soldiers to hold five to 6,000 of their troops, 
They built them all the same. They are exactly the same throughout the Roman world. They are of size of 40 acres. Josephus describes it this way. I'm going to read it right from his writings. Erected upon a rock of 50... He's describing the, the Roman um, the Roman fort in Jerusalem. Erected upon a rock of 50 cubits in height on a great precipice and had all kinds of rooms and other conveniences such as courts and places for bathing and broad spaces for camps such as that had all the conveniences of the cities and seemed like it was composed of several cities with 60 foot walls, four towers, the southwest being 105 feet high and smooth stones installed on its slopes. It dominated the temple to its south. It dominated the temple to its south, ready to fend off the most formidable attacks with when any trouble brewed in the temple or to keep peace during the festivals Roman soldiers poured out of Fort Antonia onto two 600-foot aerial bridges connecting it to the roofs of the temple porticos, whereupon they dispersed around it four furlong perimeters. If need be, the soldiers could rain their arrows down upon the people in the outer courts or descend via staircases to perform hand-to-hand combat. Now the after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem during the, the first, Rome, uh, Jewish Ro- first uh, Jewish Roman War in 70 AD, they then went on to Masada. Masada was the last place to fall. Herod had built Masada as well as he had also built the fort as well as he had also built the temple. And as we talked about last time, some, some uh, pagan temples as well. Now, Masada was a fortified complex high atop a plateau in the Judean desert and it overlooked the Dead Sea. Josephus quotes Eleazar, the Jewish leader of Masada, as trying to convince his people to commit suicide rather than being taken captive by the Romans upon the Jewish defenders' impending defeat. Now, how many of you remember watching the movie about Masada? Anybody watch the movie about Masada? You saw the the movie? All right, they they depict this as well as they can. Uh, the, The tremendous fight that they put up against the Romans but then in the end they all just committed suicide because they didn't want to fall into the hands of the Romans and so um, uh, some of the men some of the, the, the better men there helped the others to die and so they would slit their throats or do whatever they needed to and so when the Romans came in they found them all dead and they were actually uh, disappointed because they had put up such a formidable fight they were looking forward to the battle and the battle was, was stripped from them. It was taken from them. And uh, the Roman soldiers didn't like that. They, they wanted to, to go through this fight. But they knew that, the, that the, whatever it was, and I forget all the things that had gone on, but they had uh, realized that the end was now, and they didn't want their women and their children falling into the hands of, the, of angry Romans. And so that's what they had done. Uh, so Eleazar asked them, and this is a quote, where is this city that was believed to have God himself inhabiting therein? It is now demolished to the very foundation as nothing but that monument of it preserved. I mean the camp of those that have destroyed it, which still dwells upon its ruins, and I cannot but wish that we had all died before we had seen the holy city demolished by the hands of our enemies or the foundation of our holy temple dug up after so profane a manner. 
This is Eleazar talking about what was going on. And he describes the city as completely dug up and the temple and its foundation. Let me quote it for you again. I cannot but wish that we had all died before we had seen the holy city demolished by the hands of our enemies or the foundations of our holy temple dug up after so profane a manner. According to his words, the only thing that was standing in Jerusalem was the Roman fort. There is a prophecy that Jesus gave when he walked on this earth. And it was regarding to the temple. Do you remember what his prophecy was? In regards to the temple. No stone shall be left unturned. We have the word of Josephus. We have the words of Eleazar. We have the words of Jesus. And Jesus himself said, No stone would be left unturned. Take a look at the Temple Mount. Does that look like no stone unturned? It looks pretty intact, doesn't it? But you see, we've assumed that because the temple was taken from the platform, that those are the words of Jesus. But in the words of Eleazar, it was held up in the fort that they wished they had died before they saw their holy city torn apart and the temple destroyed to the foundation. Which means the Romans came in and not only destroyed the temple, but destroyed the very mount it was on. If these three things are true, then what is called the temple mount cannot possibly be the temple mount. And even though most of the Jewish people are holding out hope that this is the Temple Mount and this is where the new one will be built, there is many an archaeologist who will not utter the words the Temple was not built there. They know it's true, but they won't utter these words because of the reaction that the people will have. They are sold out that this is the Temple. I think I left off a couple of pictures. But we can get there with number five. I have number five. Our next one. Would you put that up there on the screen here? This is a possible rendition of what may have been the temple. Number four, City of David. This would turn the Temple Mount into Fort Antonia. The precipices are, are over here, and what you can get right from here to the Temple Courtyard. There are the four towers, the one tower being higher than the others, which Josephus described, being able to rain down arrows down upon these areas should the need arise. If this is the Roman Roman court, this would be the area of the um, of the temple. Now, let me take you back, and I, I didn't put this in your outline, and I'm just going to quote this to you because I think you can probably remember most of this. But in the book of Acts, do you remember when Paul was in the temple and he was going through his uh, his his, uh, his rituals? 
that he was supposed to do, and the and the place up became uh, rose up in an uproar. If you want to go back and look at his the description in the book of Acts as to where Paul was taken and how Paul addressed the crowd, you will not be able to see that the way the Temple Mount is usually usually described with a temple on it. It's actually not possible for what happens in the book of Acts to happen if the temple was built on the mount. But if the temple was constructed in this way, then what Paul, what is described for Paul as being hauled out of the temple and then a Roman guard coming right over and taking him, this would, have, this would lay it out perfectly. And this was one of the stories that was taken into account when this was put together, as well as Josephus' description. Now, he gave an eyewitness description of the place, and uh, this would be an entire city that is in here. Again, nothing is left. There is no sign of a temple. The, um, the, the mosque that is there, I am told that that mosque actually, uh, the, the Dome and the Rock Mosque, I am told, and I, I didn't uh, get the chance to copy all that, that over, but that the, the Dome of the Rock Mosque is not like any mosque anywhere in the world. It is very different. But the building does resemble some things that Rome built. It would almost seem like they took over one of the buildings and turned it into the dome of the of the rock. So that's a possibility. But again, I didn't, you know, the, I didn't uh, carry all that stuff over. Um, we had a bit of a. I was up at home working on a lot of these things, and we had a power outage that lasted for about an hour and a half, <laughs> for which I was separated from some of the material I was trying to compile. But this is a this is the way they can go now. Um, I wanted to take a look at picture number, go to picture number six, if you would, or the number one Jerusalem typography. I want you to see this is the, the hills of Jerusalem. You know that Jerusalem is the city of seven hills, I believe it's often referred to. Now, these are the elevations. You can see the elevations coming up. You can see the huge valley that is over in this area. This area right there is is um, Mount Moriah. This is the city of David. Now, now take on go on to our next picture, chapter uh, picture number seven, which is number two Jerusalem typography. It's going to be the same map. Now we're going to put the city of Jerusalem on it. Mount Moriah, city of David, and then here we have some of the area, other areas where the city has grown into. Mount Zion is over here. These are some of the other areas. So the, the city is actually very hilly, very mountainous uh, almost. But th this would be Mount Moriah, would be where the Temple Mount is. And that's why a lot of the assumption is that's where the temple was built, on Mount Moriah. But you will remember this. David built the temple on the land where the angel was. Remember the angel came, that he had, the plague had stopped, and where the angel was, he he went over to the person. He says, "I need to buy your land," and that's where the temple was built, which is very close to Mount Moriah, but just not quite there. So if the angel had been right here, and this is the area that he wanted to purchase, then he, and that's where he would have would have built it, right next to Mount 
Moriah. And this would be the city of David. This is why the city was so small. This is a section here. They just took the top of the mountain, hilled it off, and made it very difficult for anybody to, to attack it. Not only did you have the walls, but you had the, the city itself to, to go. And this is the city of David. One of the things that I did not bring that picture. I had so many pictures to try and bring over. One of the things you will see, if you look at one of the modern pictures of the city, of the old city of David, you will see a lot of the hills that are built on these uh, on the hill going down. During David's time, they were there. David's palace is right around this area. It's, uh, if the temple was here, north, closer to Mount Moriah, closer to the Temple Mount, D- David's palace was on the other side of where the temple would have been built. So if David's uh, palace was right here, looking down, looking out his window, he would be looking at the rooftops of all of this, the houses on the, that are built along the, the hill, which is why he was able to see Bathsheba, which is uh, described there. So if you ever go and look up some modern pictures of the city of David, since I did not bring over some of the ones that I had, uh, you, can, you can check that out. All right. Now, before we go on to number eight, uh, which would be the fortress one. This is a picture of a fortress that's still, I guess, somewhat intact. You can see all of the, the base around it. This is this particular fortress is in Syria. Rome had built this in Syria. Go ahead and pull that one out, up. And what you will notice is not only does it look like the Temple Mount, it is exactly the measurements of the Temple Mount. If you took the Temple Mount in Israel and put it over top, it would match exactly where those walls are. So the Temple Mount is actually built according to the specifications of a Roman fortress. Now what would that mean for the first and and second temples? Let's go back to the picture we had before, if you can go backwards. The, the, the place that we have before, and of course, we're, we're looking to rebuild the, the temple. That area right here is not one of the ones that's being con- as contested as the Temple Mount. So if Israel decides to listen to all the people that are telling them the temple never existed here, it existed here, and they decide to build. Now, I'm not saying that that area is empty. I don't know what's there, but... If we can, we go back to uh, number four, city David. They t- they elevated this, and all of that elevation was taken down. They did not leave any stone unturned. They tore the entire foundation of this temple down. But they had taken this mountainous area and they raised it up to make a flat plateau. And Israel could certainly do that again. All right, so we need some, some second site options. So this is one second site option, is to put it where it very likely would have been all along. That is the site of the first temple and the second temple that um, uh, Zerubbabel built and also Herod improved upon. That would be right in that, that spot right there. Now, if you were here some years ago, we went over a, a uh, possible other section, other place where this could be built. And the third temple could be built in, and I put this as, I guess, your first blank in your outline, Shiloh. Now, you all will remember Shiloh from history. 
in the Old Testament. Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle was. There are three periods in regards to the temple or temple-like building. The first was the tabernacle. That lasted just about 400 years. I think it was just over 400 years. Solomon's temple was in there, and I believe, if I saw, if I remember the, the graphic correctly, that was about 400 years too, and just plus or minus a little bit in there. And then we had the second temple from the time of Zerubbabel all the way up until 70 AD. And I think that one also came to around 400 years. So we had the tabernacle, Solomon's, Solomon's temple, and then the second temple. These are the, the three that would come. But the tabernacle, Shiloh, is where, the, where the, the Lord's tabernacle was first. The tabernacle of Moses, it was called. And it was a, a tent set up. It was all portable. You could uh, pack it up and move it, because that's what they did all through the wilderness. They packed it up and they moved it. But eventually it settled down, and it settled in the area of Shiloh. It, Shiloh had its own city. And Shiloh also had the temple that was off of the city. It was not in the city. It was off from the city. And the priests and so forth would stay in this, this small city. It was not a big city. It was a small city of Shiloh. Uh, Eli, of course, his, his sons, they were all here in this place. And his lineage, most of those priests, they had uh, come from there and lived there. And then uh, Samuel, he was, he was bo- uh, born there. And brought, well, I'm sorry, he was at least brought there and he was raised in the, the temple at Shiloh. Now, there's no land dispute to hinder a temple to set up in this location. In fact, I saw uh, uh, one of the old uh, uh, Jewish leaders who was given a tour from an uh, uh, aerial vantage point and pointing out the different things, and there's really nothing that would stop them. In fact, you can go up to the area of Shiloh, it's not a big area on the tourist uh, strip. And he says, you can see where the tabernacle had been put put up. Where it had been, been set up. Uh, because it's, it just really hasn't been disturbed much. What happened with uh, Israel was, if we can pull up... I wrote, labeled as number 15. Can you jump ahead? The ark captured. What happened with, with this was, we had the ark that was... Uh, captured the Israel, Israelites figured, you know, here's a way where we can get the victory. Let's bring God into the battle. And so they decided to bring the ark into the, into the battle. You may remember that. And so the, uh, they lost the battle. Uh, much of their army was lost. And the Philistines captured the ark. And you remember when Eli heard that the Philistines captured the ark, that he fell over backwards and he died. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they died on that day as well. And it went on about a seven-month ride through all these different places. They sent it over here and people or bad things were happening and, and gods were being destroyed and it just wasn't a good scene. So they sent it over to somebody else and Ashdod said, oh, we're not superstitious. We'll take it. And they took it and, and things began to happen there. So they sent it over to Gath and Gath says, we'll take it. And, and they decided, no, we don't want it anymore. And Ekron, he went over there and they took it. And so then they got the idea that, hey, let's... Uh, this is not working out. All of our gods are bowing down or bad things are happening every time we take this thing. So let's uh, put it on a cart and let's just see what happens. If it goes back to Israel, then their God was behind all this. If not, then it just bad things happen just while it was around. So they put it on the cart 
and it went on on back to uh, uh, Israel. They eventually set it up over here at Kiris Jerem. Again, Shiloh is gone now. Shiloh, in the loss of that battle, the city was destroyed. Small city that it was, but it was destroyed. And so the time for 305 years for which it was at Shiloh went from 1399 to 1094 B.C. But 1094, Shiloh was no more. And so they uh, needed a new home for it. And so they headed over in, uh, came over to Jerusalem. I believe they put it up in, in um, uh, was it, did it go right to Kirith Jerusalem? It went over there for 92 years. Then they moved it over here to Gibeon, and eventually uh, Nob, I believe, has it as well. It came down to Nob and then over to Gibeon. You can see some of the bouncing around that it did. And then David, we had the Tabernacle of David. That uh, went on from 1001 to 960. He put this one up, and this was a more of a permanent setup of the Tabernacle than the Moses Tabernacle was. He set it up a little bit more permanently. And then, of course, his son built the temple. And then we had the permanent residence over in Jerusalem at that point. But it had bounced around to all these places. Uh, Gibeon was out there for, for 58 years. Nob, that was over there for 76 years. This is where Saul killed the priest. He killed them over in Nob. This was the, the city of the tabernacle at that time. That's where all the priests were at. Uh, not very far from Jerusalem when David fled from Jerusalem he fled over here to Nob and that's what brought that city into into some of the trouble so Shiloh is a possibility it's still it's an uncontested area there are no uh, Arab Muslim settlements that are in the area and there's more and more of the Israelites that are moving into this particular area it's just setting up it's just it's still just a small city it's nothing big it wasn't in the days when the tabernacle was there either and it's still not now but you have a lot of land there, and you could certainly set up something that is as big as what um, uh, Ezekiel has talked about, something that is much larger than the uh, second temple that Herod had, had improved upon. So Shiloh is certainly a possibility, and that could go on at any time. We don't necessarily need a treaty. A lot of times we're thinking the treaty that is involved is somehow going to bring the temple to Israel. But if we can get the temple without having to do a treaty, then there's probably another reason for the treaty to, to come in. So let's go on to uh, picture number 10, the uh, Old Testament map of Shiloh. And we're going to look at the whole, the whole gamut here. One of the things that we saw from Ezekiel, this, is a, uh, this would be the tabernacle of Moses. You can see how temporarily this, this all looks. Uh, David's was a little bit more formidable, but still it was tent-like because uh, he was not supposed to build a, a firm building. Can we go to our next picture? I think it's the study Old Testament map. I have some of my words cut out on it. I had it as... Oh, I'm, I'm, am I jumping ahead of you? I have it as number 10, which is before that one, which I have as 11, which I think we changed some of the numbers on yours. Oh, did it disappear? All right, well, if you find that one, that's more the whole map of Israel. One of the things that I was looking for in, in, in looking at these different sites is Ezekiel is taken to a mountain. And from this mountain, he overlooks and he sees the, uh, the, what he said looks like a city, resembled a city. And then he was taken to it, and we see that he's in, uh, on the temple. 
If you're in the area of Jerusalem, there are a number of mountains around there. I did not find one that I could say was directly north of Jerusalem, but there's enough mountains around there that you, maybe you could get on one of those and have a southerly view of the thing. Uh, so uh, Jerusalem, it's just a very mountainous area where Jerusalem is. But over here is where we would have Shiloh, and there is a mountain that is directly above Shiloh. Did I put that in there? Remember that one I said was going to be either first or... Yeah, see if we can... Temple number two. Let's see if we can pull that one up. Here we have Shiloh, and here we have one of the tallest mountains in Israel, Mount Gerizim, directly north of Shiloh. So if he was taken to this mountain, he could look down and see Shiloh from there. That's my speculation. That's not anything that I'm, I'm telling you people that were there, got up there and saw it. I just pulled up some maps and I just wanted to take a look and see what was there. But you can see all these mountains, mountain range all the way down here. I'm sure from Jerusalem there could be a mountain that you can get on top of and look directly south and see what he is describing. So I think either of these locations would have a mountain that would qualify it. Now I did see a picture from Shiloh that you could see Mount Gerizim off in the off in the horizon. You can see it pretty well. It's not like it's a little bitty bitty thing, but, but then again, it's a it's a big mountain. It's not a little tiny one. If we can go on to go back to that number eleven that you the one I pulled you off from. Uh, Shiloh one. Now this is the tabernacle location at the time of the judges in First Samuel. This is where it would be. I believe that's not the picture I was thinking of, but I think that might be Mount Gerizim. But if you're up over here, you could see that you would have an obvious view from the the mountain that you can come right on down there. I never saw anything quite this um, clear that a mountain was directly north the way that it was for, for this one. But anyway, uh, go on down here. This is where the... Yep, let's go on to the shallow two. i got to see why I put that one up on there. This is just another view of the site without all the drawings on it. You can still see some of the, the remnants of some of the things that the, uh, the the old Jewish man that was there, he was giving us a tour of this and showing us some of the... Um, Remnants of what was from uh, when Israel had used it before. Uh, Shiloh number three. This is the area right here that we'd be talking about. This is the mountain that would be up over that that area. And Shiloh number four. This is where the Israeli settlement is. This is the ancient site. Again, you can see the mountain. That could be. Uh, where some, when Ezekiel talks about being put on a mountain on a very high place and then he looked down that would be uh, certainly a view that he could he could see that so let's go on I think that's all we need for the pictures I think we, we did make it through all those so let's go on here to verse 4 of Ezekiel 43 and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So we threw this question out. Why would the glory of God fill a temple set up for Old Testament worship of Jehovah? This is not worshiping God through Jesus Christ. 
This is not recognizing the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're going right back to the Old Testament way of doing things. Now, when did the, the Lord's presence leave the first temple? That was Ezekiel's vision. He had it. He had the saw the vision of the Spirit of God leaving, the glory of God leaving. But the glory of God had stayed at the temple while all that idolatry and things were going on. Now, that kind of is remarkable to me. Why would the Spirit of God, the glory of God, reside in the temple when Israel was doing all this stuff for idolatry outside in the temple court? And I don't have necessarily a great answer for you. All I can tell you is apparently the Spirit of God uh, stayed. The glory of God stayed. So it left when Ezekiel saw this in the vision and he declared it to the people. But he had stayed up until then. So he left before the place was destroyed but after all the idolatry had gone on. So Judah ruled Jerusalem and the temple functioned without his presence. So the the, the people in the temple are still going around they're doing their sacrifices the priests are still offering the things they're supposed to be offering the holy of holies and all that stuff is going on without the spirit without the glory of God he's gone now Haggai chapter 2 I didn't copy this in the mind so I don't have to cheat read it off the screen Haggai in the second chapter we're going to read the first nine verses here on this in the seventh month, on the twenty-first of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, once more it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now he prophesies that the glory of the Lord will fill the temple, but he says it's in the future. He doesn't seem to make the prophecy that the glory of God will fill the temple that Zerubbabel has. And even the people that are there, he says, some of you people who remember the old temple, are you disappointed that this is, is not quite up to par with what you had before? It doesn't have all the glitz. It doesn't have all the glitter. It's not as magnificent. It's kind of a bare bones temple. Now, the, the first temple, when Solomon dedicated, it was a big thing. And the Spirit of God, the glory of God, came down upon that place and filled it so the priests had to get out of it. They couldn't inhabit it anymore because of the glory of God that was down upon the, the place. But nothing like that happens in the Zerubbabel temple. 
but the prophecy in Haggai is that it will come. Now, that may be talking more about the fourth temple, I think more so than the third. But maybe it is referring to the, to the third and the glory of God that would come down and Ezekiel does prophesy. It says in verse 5 again, The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So maybe that is the, the glory, the filling that is there. But it seems like that they're, they're waiting for, for something to happen for the second and never happens. The glory never comes down. But the second temple had something that the first temple did not. And that is the presence of the Son of God. Jesus himself walked through the second temple. He was in the second temple. The Son of God, the Messiah, was in that temple. And that's something that the first one did not have. So though it doesn't seem that the glory of God ever came down upon the second temple the way it came down upon the first one, and that Haggai's prophecy is still for a future date, whether it would be describing what happens with the third temple, uh, or just goes on to the fourth one. We don't know. But I put this in your outline for you. So the glory of God comes as a result of prophecy and promise, not by what people do. And what we mean by that is, let me say it to you again just so you get it. So the glory of God comes as a result of prophecy and promise, not by what people do. So the glory of God is going to come down upon this temple that Ezekiel is prophesying about. Even though this temple is going to be built after the days of Jesus Christ. It's going to be built after the time when Jesus comes upon the, upon the earth and makes the sacrifice for people. They reject Jesus. They reject that way to the Father. But the glory of God still comes, not because of what the people do, not because of their uh, following after God the way they're supposed to, but because God prophesied it. Because God promised that it would come. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So what happened? What we have in the Daniel prophecy is that uh, until Messiah is cut off those 62 weeks plus the uh, the seven, those those continued on. We're going to have one more week that goes after Messiah is cut off. So after Jesus Christ is cut off, we end those weeks. That's where the temple veil was rent in two. And we've seen that the presence of God that had been in the temple is gone. And they will continue to function as a temple without the presence of God in the place. Much as they will do, uh, much as they had done in, in other times. But then the seventh, the, the 70th week kicks in. Can you have a God who's going to deal with the world through the chosen people, the Jews, if his presence doesn't dwell with them? If God is going to deal with the world through the Jewish people, his chosen ones, 
would not his presence have to be there? It would seem that his presence shows up because he prophesied it and because he promised it, not because of their obedience in worshiping God the way that they should. So it would seem to be that this is a hang-up for us. They're not worshiping God the way they should. They're not accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're not accepting his sacrifice. They're trying to go through their own sacrifices. This will be a problem. And for us, we would, we would hinder the presence of God from being there. But from God's point of view, he may be saying, this is now how I deal with the world. We dealt with it with the Gentile church. But now that church is gone. And now we're going through the Jewish people again. And his presence needs to be in that place. Now, midway through the tribulation is when the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple. What happens to the Spirit of God then? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know that we can have a, a set answer. If the Spirit of God could reside in the first temple with all that idolatry going on outside, I don't think that what's going to go on during the tribulation time would be able to drive him out unless he decided to go. So I don't know what happens with that, but boy, that what what a thing we're going to be able to watch from up in heaven. And we are watching. We are watching. Make no bones about it. When John is up there in heaven, he's writing all this down. We're all, we're all around there. We're watching this stuff that's going on. These are things to watch for. What happens in the temple when the abomination is set up? Is there a continual battle that goes on in the temple between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Antichrist? Does God vacate the place? I, and I don't have a set answer for you on it. Yeah, I could go all kinds of ways <laughs> with that in my, in my head. But Ezekiel gives us a picture of the temple of God. He gives us the picture of, in his previous prophecies, of foreign gods being worshipped in there set up in the courts but his spirit the spirit of God has still stayed there it will make for a very interesting third temple this one won't last very long this one will be replaced very quickly and set up with one that will worship the true God through Jesus Christ but how easy it is for us to put limits on God well God you have to build a temple on the temple mount yeah, but what if the temple was never there? Have we put a restriction on God based on something that we thought when there's a whole lot of evidence that would seem to point to the fact that that temple was never on the Temple Mount? And where it was is completely gone because Jesus Christ himself prophesied. No stern, no stone will be left upon another. It would all come down. Of course, they didn't believe him when they said it. But we can't put limitations. The temple has to be built here in order for Scripture to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit can only do and fill in whatever blank you want to on that. Well, God is the one who makes a way where there is no way. If God says it's going to be done a certain way, that's how it's going to be done. And He will bring it about. He is in touch with the past, the present, and the future. And he is able to bring whatever it is about. He's prophesied it because he has seen this go on. It's not something that he's uh, predicting. I hope this happens this way. He has seen this go on. And he will see. He's already seen all these things go on and told us enough about it that we'll be able to piece this together as it, as it happens. But there will be a third temple, whether it would be built in, in Shiloh 
and I've always heard it pronounced Shiloh, and as I was watching some of the, the people depicted, they do pronounce it differently. Shiloh, I think they, they, they use a shorter I on that that I'm, I'm used to. Just knowing the, the Jewish people apparently pronounce it a little bit differently than the people from that area. Uh, Shiloh, I think they, they had called it. But it's so ingrained in me to be Shiloh, I just, uh, <laughs> I just call it that. But don't put limitations on our God. He, he cannot be limited. If He has called for it to happen, it's because He has seen it come about. Ezekiel is not seeing something that might happen. He is on sight of a thing that has already happened as far as God has seen. It hasn't happened as far as we have seen. But as far as God has seen, it has already happened. And Ezekiel was taken into the future to see this great sight. Set on a mountain and looked south and saw what appeared to be a city. And then he was given a tour. Next week we'll pick up on the rest of the verses of 43 as he uh, gives us some of the purpose for why all these things are being, being shared. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the insights you give us here tonight. As we continue to press in and study your word, you have more to show us. We thank you for it. Give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.